0: So what are you waiting for? Let's get Ready to Thrive. Hello and welcome to Ready to Thrive. I'm excited to be sitting here uh, with my new friend, Darina Lazo Gilmore-Young. And it is a mouthful, but we're going to explain all of that in just a few minutes. Um, Darina and I were just chatting about how we kind of met each other Um, last fall at a conference called Blistum in Nashville. And for some of you who listen regularly, you know that I have used this phrase a lot because I've had quite a few women that I met at that conference who have been on this podcast. So I'm excited to have another one. Um, Dorina is a mom of three girls, so we share that in common. She is a runner. Um, She is an author of actually many books, but we're going to talk about her latest book, a devotional called walk, run, soar. And I'm just excited to get to know Doreena a little bit more and share her story with you. So Doreena, let me know what have I left out. Tell me a little bit more about yourself.
1: Jacqueline, thanks so much for having me. It's, this is such a gift. And and I think about how, what a gift it was that we actually got to meet in person at Blistem, like when the conferences were in person and not on Zoom. Um, so thanks for having me. Yeah, I am a writer. I am an author. I love speaking for women's groups. I speak in local schools here in California because I'm also a children's book writer. And for fun, I love to run. And that's also my therapy. So I love to run on trails near the ocean, through the mountains. I live in Central California, so I'm pretty close to the foothills and mountains here. And I love being a mama and just ministering to Women, So my own girls and other women um, across the country and the world.
0: Wow. Well, Doreena, you wear so many hats. so I'm not even sure where to start off. Um, I wanted to ask you quickly about your children's books. When did you start writing children's books? Well, actually,
1: I started that journey after my husband, Eric Lee, and I got married. Um, well, I should back up and say I've always wanted to write children's books. I can actually okay. remember... The moment in first grade when i wrote my first creative story and i often tell this story when i'm in the schools with kids um, i wrote this story about two unicorns who fell in love and all this detail and of course i named it after the boy in my class who i had a crush on and my teacher wrote all these wonderful encouraging comments in the margin of my paper and she told me it was romantic and it was creative and that i had a future as a writer And I like to share that story because it was that seed that was planted in me that I was going to be a writer one day. Um, She helped give me that courage to pursue that. But then I ended up going into journalism as a profession. I was a newspaper reporter, so still writing, but not writing children's books. And then after I got married, I did pursue um, children's book writing. I was no longer working for the newspaper, and I published my first book. Let's see. 2001. Long time ago.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, awesome. Well, I love that that's part of your writing journey and that you even knew. And it, it does make me think as a mom, as I see the kids, uh, the things that my kids um, love doing and that they do um, really well at that. I, that's the same thing. I want to kind of plant those seeds of like, yeah, you can pursue this. Like there's certain giftings and talents that you have, things that you love. So um, I love that that's part of your story. Um, so I want to back up a little bit more on your story as well. Uh, tell me a little bit more about um, your early married life and sort of the journey that you and your husband were on and what you were doing, because I find that also super fascinating.
1: Well, Eric Lee and I got married in 2003. His first name is Eric Lee. <laughs> and we actually met on a trip a mission trip that our church was doing to the country of Haiti and he was the leader of that trip it actually was a group of young single career people that all went together i think there were 9 of us and our pastor and we were putting on a track and field camp for the kids there in Haiti and so of course being a runner i was attracted to the purpose of this trip and i got to know eric lee through my church just a little bit so i signed up for this trip and We got to know each other through that trip, lots of details of things that unfolded, but we ended up getting engaged the following summer and then getting married that following spring. And so I knew from the start of our relationship that ministering in Haiti, working in Haiti was definitely going to be a part of our future together. And when we got married, um, we started to make regular trips to Haiti his grandparents actually had started the ministry there in the 1940s. So they were some of the pioneer missionaries in the mountains of Haiti. And we were just, in a way, continuing that legacy. Um, Our goal was really to empower local Haitians um, to lead in the church and lead in the community. And then along the way, I picked up a role that I was not expecting, but certainly loved, which is I started a fair trade jewelry business. So we employed 60. women, 60 artisans across the Northern mountains of Haiti, and they made jewelry out of recycled cardboard. So some people may have seen these beads that are rolled out of cardboard. And really my joy in that, I, I actually always love to make jewelry as a hobby, but my joy was being able to pour into these women, many of them living in poverty and never before having a way to provide for their families and being able to disciple them and to help them dream and then my role here in the United States was to come home with those stories and share those stories as kind of an ambassador as we would, we would sell the jewelry. So Eric Lee and I were involved in lots of different things there in Haiti. Um, we always had Central California as our home base and had lots of church partnerships that were here on the West Coast.
0: Wow. Um, again, so much of that story. I love that you um, are sharing about how you also had a, a love and a passion for jewelry making and then you were able to use that again to serve women. There's so much of your story I feel like we could dive into because you casually say, "Oh, and then we started this thing where you know I employed 60 people." Like that's such a huge undertaking. And again, one of the things that I always love sharing with women is that um, you know wherever we're at, whatever we have as our interests and our passions, we can just start to serve the people um, right where we at. As many people are kind of on this journey of looking for purpose and what do I do? And so I love that you share um, just about that. And I know that for you um, that was a season that in many ways was cut shorter than you would have hoped. Um, but you were using the gifts that you had right where you were. And so I know that in itself will encourage and inspire women. Um, Drina, can you keep sharing your story with me of having your children and um where your life has gone from that moment?
1: Yeah. So as we were working in Haiti, um, we did have three daughters and, um, they just became part of our ministry as well. My husband and I very much worked as a team. Um, we traveled as a team. We, we brought our babies across the world, which some people perhaps questioned, but I just, I knew that if we were going to do ministry, that we were going to do it together. And so that was very much our philosophy. And, um, Things actually came to a screeching halt back in 2014. That was the year that my husband was turning 40. And so we were into the ministry. Things were thriving. Our jewelry business was um, really flourishing. We were so busy and exhausted, but at the same time, we were looking forward to a great year that year. We had our calendar squares filled. We had mission teams that were coming to visit us in Haiti And we received some news uh, in May of that year. And like I said, everything came to a halt. Um, My husband had a bump that had been growing on his hip. And we thought because he was an athlete, we thought it was a sports injury. Uh, Some professionals had indicated that as well. Um, But from January to May, we had done different types of testing. And in May, we received the diagnosis that he, in fact, had a tumor and he had stage four melanoma cancer. So it was very unexpected, not at all the trajectory we had thought for 2014. Um, but we had to pull back at that point, of course, and completely focus on some kinds of treatment. Um, we quickly found out that it was inoperable and that it was an aggressive kind of cancer that was moving very quickly. Um, so to make a long story kind of short, um, my husband actually went to heaven that year in September of 2014. So here I was um, 37 years old with daughters ages two, five, and eight. I had this um, just beautiful ministry that was there in Haiti. And I had this crossroads in front of me. I had to figure out what in the world I was going to do. I had never dreamed of doing any part of my career without my husband. And so um, it, was a, it was a moment of truth where I really had to seek the Lord for guidance.
0: Drina, thank you for sharing your story with me. Um, as I listened to it, it's really, um, you know, thinking about you being in that season, you're running your race. just to talk about running, like you're living your life on mission with your husband. You have three young girls. And again, it hits close to home as I have three young girls. Um, and you're just dealt this blow that you are not expecting. And I know there are people listening who can relate to your story, who have been going along in their life and who have had something just come at them. Um, I'm wondering, like you say, you had to kind of make some decisions how how did you grieve in that time? And what have you really learned about grieving in sort of the six years um, since that time?
1: Well, that's such a good question. So I talked about being at that crossroads. You know, if we go with the running analogy, just kind of running down the trail and realizing, okay, wow, there's a big fork in the road here. And so I could continue with my life in Haiti, but recognizing mm-hmm. that I didn't have Eric Lee with me. Um, or I could go down this road that I felt like God was leading me down which which I had pretty much no clue what, what lie ahead. And so after, um, some prayer and discernment, I decided to actually step out of our nonprofit organization. Um, by God's grace, my husband always had a vision for growing up leaders. He had always talked about giving his job away to others. And I always was thinking how in the world are we going to do that? I mean, your family has been in this ministry for decades, Um, But I think God had eternity in his heart. And so he had some other friends, people on our board that we could actually hand the ministry over to. And even the jewelry business, um, I had the gift of two women who had been working with me as volunteers and part of our board that I was able to say, will you take this? Um, And admittedly, it was a really hard decision, of course. That ministry had been my life. It had been my future and not to mention that our community was there in Haiti. So in a sense, I was making a decision to go down this path that was taking me away from my friends, my, um, my dreams. But I also knew that by stepping away, it would empower others to step up. And if I tried to stay in it while I was grieving and while I didn't really have the strength and energy to carry out what I needed to um, it would actually hold others back. And that's part of a you know hindsight reflection. I didn't know all that when I was in the midst of making that decision, but I did um, actually move forward here, living here in Central California where I live now. And I had an amazing community. My parents were here, so many friends, so many churches that grieved alongside me. And so it was really about taking space Um, for that grief. And that's something I'm really passionate about. And I speak about a lot is that, you know, we encounter grief and loss in our lives. And a lot of times um, this may be cultural, but we, we tend to stuff it down. We tend to push it aside and think, Oh no, I've got to keep running. But really what that is, is it's running with an injury. And if we haven't given ourselves sufficient space to really restore those places that have been broken, then we're going to be running as an injured athlete. Um, So definitely not doing our best. Um, So for me in that time, it meant um, going back to teaching. I was teaching part-time at the university just so I could have a little bit of income and really focusing on my girls and just giving them, permission to grieve. They're all unique children. Of course, God has made them unique and trying to navigate something. I, of course I've never navigated before, um, and doing that alongside my kids. And so that's another thing that I've learned about grief too, is that every journey is unique and each of my kids are wired differently. I'm wired differently. My mother-in-law who also lived in town, she grieved in a different way and we need to give each other permission Um, and encourage each other to grieve in those different ways. So that's something else that I definitely learned along the journey. Um, I think I also just learned that, you know, grief is not this trajectory. It's not these five steps or stages that we often talk about, that it's kind of this tangled ball of yarn that is unraveling. And some days it's just easy to push that ball along. And other days it's a whole day of, untangling all the knots so to speak um so those are a few things that i learned
0: so good thank you so much for sharing um and i i love how you even threw in there because i wanted to ask you about that how you've given your daughters permission um in their in their unique ways to grieve um so thank you um, I want to ask you as well, how, how did running play a role for you in your grieving, in your healing? And you mentioned it's like therapy. So um, bring running into the story here.
1: Yeah. Well, I was a runner since I was a little girl. I started running with my dad when I was, I think in third or fourth grade. And then I was a track athlete in high school and then ended up doing more longer distance running with my husband, Eric Lee. So he was my coach. He was my running buddy. He pushed our girls in the jogging stroller for hundreds of miles alongside me. And initially I thought I couldn't run without him. I thought it was just too profound a memory. Um, of his absence, underscoring his absence, but what I discovered after a few weeks of him going to heaven is that running is actually what I needed for myself, for my body, and even to move through my grief. So I remember that first night that I went out to run with friends. We went out to a local track, and I was trembling. My body was like, "I can't do this." And I laced up my shoes and I just started to run and. I I felt like I could hear his voice from heaven. I felt like I could hear Eric Lee saying, you know, take a deep breath and swing your arms and lift your knees and some of those coaching cues that he had given me through the years. And that was the initial like getting over how hard it was to do it without him. And then from there, I actually started um, trail running. Which I had never really done trail running before. But the thing that is different and unique about trail running is that it's less about your pace and chasing your goals and, you know, expected sort of routes, but it's more about going on this trail that you don't know where exactly it goes. And sometimes it's uphill and sometimes it's downhill, but you find yourself in the midst of God's creation. And so God met me there. I would go running almost every Saturday with a group of other moms. And that was my only time to myself because I was, you know, with my kids 24, seven otherwise. And, you know, the sunrise, the beautiful sparkling Lake, the green grasses that were undulating along the way. Those were the things that drew me to God. Um, Sometimes I would run and cry. Sometimes I would run and sweat. And it was just the way that God met me and I was able to pour out my heart and my grief.
0: Uh, Darina, thank you for sharing that with me. That was so beautiful. And tell me how um, really running also played a role in you uh, connecting with your now husband, Sean.
1: Yeah, so it's, uh, it's a wild story, but I actually met Sean at the same time I met Eric Lee on that very first mission trip to Haiti. Um, Sean is also a runner, and so he was very good friends with Eric Lee. They had been friends through church, through high school group, and college group, and because they were both runners, they often saw each other at track meets um, competing for different schools. So Sean was this guy. I also met, he was my prayer partner on that trip to Haiti and through the years after Eric Lee and I got married, he was just a dear friend of ours. He supported our ministry prayerfully and financially. And whenever he would come to town, um, he actually lived on the East coast for nine years, but when he would come to visit in California, he would stay with us or we would make him dinner. We would in some way connect with Sean and just the wild. It's it's the wild part of the story is that my husband, Eric Lee always prayed for Sean. He prayed for him almost every day. And he had a burden for his friend in the sense that he just believed that God was bringing a woman for him that he was going to get married to someday. And so he was just committed to praying for Sean's future wife. And I have to share that detail because as Sean and I um, kind of reconnected after Eric Lee's funeral and, We started talking on the phone um, and he actually ended up moving back to California, not for me, but for his mom, who was a widow. Um, I remembered those prayers and I just had this strange and beautiful realization that all these years God had led my late husband to pray for Sean. And in reality, he was praying for me in the future. And so God brought us together. Um, There was no mistaking that these details were God's. I was not at all looking to date. I was not at all thinking that I would get remarried. My heart was broken. I was in such a beautiful marriage, uh, not a perfect marriage, but a marriage that was thriving and serving together with Eric Lee. And then when God brought Sean into my life, um, it was very much like the story of Ruth and Boaz in the Bible. And I like to say that Sean was my kinsman redeemer because God brought him back into my life and all of my friends, my family, people who were my mentors, they knew him and immediately they even gave us their blessing. They even said, oh, we were praying for this very thing, or we knew this was going to happen. I almost felt like there was a conspiracy against me because unanimously everyone was on team (laughs) Sean. So that's how we came together. Um, We got married in January of 2016. So this January will be five years that my kids have had a new daddy and we've been a family.
0: It's such a beautiful story of redemption. And I love that you bring up um, Ruth and Boaz. And if people are listening or not familiar with that story, it's a very short read in the Bible. You can check out the book of Ruth. Um, And again, it just, it paints a picture of who God is that he is a God of redemption. And I know that people are listening right now and they're feeling like I'm in a story that doesn't feel like I have redemption yet. Mm -hmm. And what would you say to those people who feel like they're hanging on by a thread or they've had sort of that punch in the gut or something where they're kind of feeling hopeless? Like, what would you say to those people?
1: So one of my favorite stories is the story of Hagar. And she was a woman who was in the wilderness. She had been abused. She was alone and God met her there. And she is the first who names God in the Bible. And she names him El Roy, the God who sees. And so that's my encouragement to people is that you are seen by God. And there were so many days during my grief journey where honestly, I questioned that. I wondered how in the world could God redeem this story? I mean, what would possibly happen in my life that could redeem this situation? My three daughters being without their daddy, no one to walk them down the aisle in the future. I just had no vision for what it could possibly look like. And yet God was working underground. He was tying together these details that I could never imagine. He was bringing Sean into my life. And it wasn't because I was out seeking that or pursuing that or dreaming of that, but it was because he saw me. He saw me in that wilderness place. And so my encouragement to anyone who might feel like you're in that place and God has forgotten you is to turn your face back to him in the way that Hagar did. And just to realize that he is the God who sees us.
0: Um, and so since you and Sean have been married, we're fast forwarding now a few years, um, you're married and you both have this love of running and coaching, um, together you have collaborated on this beautiful, um, devotional. And, um, I love that this has come out, um, a few months before the new year which really is when some people are thinking about getting in shape. And um, really what you have here is it's a 52-week running devotional. So when people pick this up, they get to start with a devotional. So they start with some encouragement, um, a verse, and you're unpacking a story. But then also you have some running tips. And so is this book just for people who are... um, already runners or would this be for people who are like oh I've always wanted to I need to start moving my body it's been a few months of COVID where I haven't done a whole lot like what who is this book for
1: well you know I think this book is actually for both of those audiences people who are already running runners could relate to the stories that are there um, because it's encouragement from God's word. It's that connection to running and our lives. And there's practical tips that Sean has written all throughout the book that can be for both beginners and even elite runners. So we had some different friends who helped us endorse the book. And, um, one, one of our friends actually who qualified for the Olympic trials. And I love that she said, um, these tips are great. These tips are things that I even need to be reminded of. And then I have some other friends who have never run before, who have joined us on the journey since the book came out. Some are walkers, some are runners. And so they also are gleaning from both the encouragement and the the tips that are there in the book.
0: I love that. I love the combination. I sometimes refer to myself as a walker. So the walk jogger. I'm i ironically Doreen and I are sitting here and I'm wearing a shirt that says I run on caffeine and kisses, which is also true. Um, sometimes how I, how I do my run, but I, I do think there is, um, such a beautiful opportunity to connect with God, um, through running. And that's always been my experience, whether I'm walk jogging or actually running. Um, and so I love that that really is an opportunity for women Um, One thing you talk about is also running as soul care. And I love talking about soul care. So tell me, how do you see running um, as soul care?
1: Well, I shared a little bit earlier about my journey into trail running. And I realized that when I was out on the trail, it was less about chasing numbers, chasing times, chasing a certain pace, but really about connecting with God. And I think all of us we need soul care, and so I'll differentiate between self care and soul care. A lot of times in our culture, we talk about self care, and we throw things in there like pedicures and like you know going to your doctor's physical once a m- once a year, or um, you know going on, a, on an extravagant girls' weekend. And I also say that any of those things are bad, but it's not necessarily what our souls need to be restored. And I think that for us to be restored, it's really about that connection with God. So this is going to look different for everyone. Um, Some people sitting quietly in their room, reading their Bible, maybe that's the soul care that you need. For me, I needed to move. I needed my body to move. I needed the exercise, the physical exercise. I also needed the emotional outlet. Um, So going out and running has provided those things for my body for my mind, for my emotions, and also for my soul as I've been able to connect with God. And it's not that I have some formal way of praying, but as I run, I often find myself worshiping. I find myself um, crying out in gratitude, just listing things that I'm grateful for. Sometimes I call it the gratitude mile. So if I was running a half marathon, probably about mile 10 or 11 is where you just hit the wall and you're like, what in the world am I doing? I don't even know if I can get to the finish line. And so I call it the gratitude mile. That those are the miles where I intentionally say, Okay, Lord, thank you for this. Thank you that I have, you know, lungs that are working right now. Thank you for my legs that are moving forward. Thank you for my daughters who are thriving in school. Thank you for bringing me this beautiful sunrise that I get to run and see, you know, your colors that are dancing across the sky. That is is another aspect I think of soul care is bringing me to that place where I actually have space to be grateful. Sometimes the pace of our lives is so hurried and harried, We don't even give ourselves that time to pray, to connect with God, to be in a space of gratitude. And I've only learned this more recently, but there's actually brain science that shows that when we spend time moving our bodies, when we spend time in gratitude, that we actually have this stuff that's going on. And I'm not going to explain it like a scientist, but we have these good things, these endorphins that happen in our brains that does lift us out of the place of grief, out of depression, out of anxiety. Um, So those are some natural things that I think come out of running that help mind, body, soul, and spirit.
0: I love that. And what would you say? Because I think what you've just unpacked there are these, just these daily practices of, moving your body of being thankful, gratitude, that um, they, they're now regular parts of your routine. Um, but there may be times where you feel like, um, I don't really feel like running. I don't really feel like being thankful or practicing gratitude. So how do you kind of encourage yourself to do those things when you don't really feel like it?
1: Well, honestly, it's really about showing up. Um, any of us who are runners or walkers too, you know, that the hardest step is the first step it's getting yourself out there and just beginning to move. And so I actually have a devotional in the book that talks a little bit about this, that showing up matters. I think it's number 20 in the book. And I do kind of talk about that, that, you know, for ourselves, just being able to step out then often once we get moving, we can get into that better sort of brain space. If you want to call it that, for example, you know, there's lots of mornings where I'm training, where I'm getting up to run, where I just don't feel like it. I'm not necessarily a morning person. Um, but I live in the central Valley of California and it's really hot in the summers. And so if I don't get out early, I'm going to suffer the consequences. (laughs) So there's a little bit of that where I'll get myself out there. And then I realize, you know, maybe a mile in or a mile or two miles in that I desperately needed this. I needed this space. I needed to move. And so that's where I talk about that in the book, this idea of showing up matters. Um, And so often we put pressure on ourselves that the workout needs to be perfect or, you know, whether it's God asking us to show up for something else, maybe to show up for our marriage or show up for our kids or show up for our community, we second guess what it might look like. We try to, you know, micromanage it or make it look perfect. And really, we just need to step out. So I'm pretty passionate about that, that, that we need to just show up and then let God do his work after we take that first step.
0: Well, that's so good. Um, I'm wondering what other things you do in your life um, that help you thrive. So you've talked about, obviously, you're running, you're moving, you have a gratitude practice. Is there anything else you do that you're like, oh, this is key to really helping me thrive in my life?
1: Well, I have to say it's rest. And rest actually looks really different for all different people. Um, But as an athlete and as a runner, this is something I've learned from my husband, Sean, I need rest. And Sean, when we first started dating, he was a a triathlete. And so he was working on training for the Ironman races, which some people may be familiar with, um, is actually biking and swimming and then running a marathon at the end of it. Um, so (laughs) pretty intense. I mean, he would literally spend probably 20 hours a week training for his races. So like a part-time job, And when I first met him, I remember having a funny conversation with him on the phone because we were still in that kind of stage of trying to figure out each other's rhythms. And I was like, well, what do you do on the weekends? And he was really involved in his church. Um, But he said, yeah, Saturday mornings, I I wake up and I go on a bike ride for a couple of hours and then I come home and I take a nap. And I'm kind of like snickering to myself because here I'm a, a single mama with three kids. You know, I nursed my babies for probably seven years collectively, like, naps. What are naps? I had no clue. And then he continued and said, Oh, okay. So on Sundays, they go to church. He would be there for a couple different services. Cause he was the head usher and he might go for an early run or he would come home from church and run. And then he would take a long nap. And I just laughed at him. I was like, what? Okay. If you're stepping into my life, that your life's going to change buddy, because this is not the life we live. But here I am six years later and I love my naps. And guess what we do on the weekends? We go for long runs and we go for bike rides and we come home and we take naps and every day. Now I actually have a practice of 20 to 30 minutes in the afternoon where I'll set my timer and I will lay down. And sometimes I will fall asleep immediately because my body is literally fatigued. And other times I will just lie there and have, some quiet. I'll have some silence or I'll listen to some worship music. And it's just a reset for me. And I know there's maybe some moms out there who have little ones who probably feel like they want to punch me right now because they don't know (laughs) what that season feels like. And so let me just encourage you that it will change as your kids get older and your rest can look different. Um, But for me, it was a discipline that I had to learn. So I am an Enneagram seven, my personality type. I'm an enthusiast. I love to be busy. I love to have people in my house. I love to be in the mix of, you know, my kids and their friends and the music and cooking in the kitchen. But I need that change of pace. I need that slower rhythm. And even if it's 20 to 30 minutes a day where I just pause, it actually helps me so much. Um, not just to connect with God, but even to just allow him to work through any anxiety or fear that I have or questions that I have decisions I need to make. And, you know, in these COVID times in 2020, I needed to just get myself off the screen for 20 to 30 minutes. And that was a reset. That was also really helpful.
0: Well, I love that. Um, rest has become a huge part of our lives as well. And so I do share about that lots, um, in the podcast and it, it definitely was, it has been a discipline. It has been, um, learning to give myself permission to rest. And, um, like you said the other day, um, I have been fighting a bit of a cold and, um, I just put a show on for my three kids. I said, you guys sit here, watch a show. Mommy is having a nap. And um, I love that one of the things you said was that you um, you set a timer and you, you do it every day. So you really have, you've made the decision, this is what's going to happen in my day. You've planned for it and then you're following through with it. And it doesn't have to look perfect either. Like you said, sometimes I fall asleep, sometimes I lay there, I'm praying. And like you said earlier, our pace of life is so quick that we often we wonder why we go to bed at night and maybe our brain is still racing with things, or we don't know how to shut it down and we um, have things that we haven't yet worked through. And so I think running is such a great way to do that. Also having that time of rest and just, I love the Saturday Sabbath. We do something very similar. um, Just kind of seeing what works for us um, on that day, but then also trying to seek out some rest every day so that I'm not necessarily totally depleted and And I gather from all the hats you wear, all the things you do, you are working very hard. You're moving your body, you're coaching, you're doing various things. um, But you're also seeing that as a priority. And I think, you know, as Dorina has run the distance, she understands what life looks like not to be a sprint, but to be a marathon. And so as any elite athlete knows, rest is such a key component. And so um, I know hearing... All of the things you're sharing, you're not sharing these things out of theory. Uh, You are really sharing these things of a life lived. And that to me um, has such an impact as you share about um, walking through grief. You share about um, being determined to get up and move your body and to practice gratitude and things that I think um, are all good reminders um, for those of us listening, regardless of where we're at. So thank you for sharing your story with us, Darina. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm excited to share this book uh, with some of my friends who are runners. It is Walk, Run, Soar, a 52-week running devotional. And Dorina, where can women um, connect with you more? Where can they get
1: your book? The easiest place to find me is on my website. It's darinagilmore.com. And you can find my book there. You can find a little bit more about my story. I'm also a blogger, so I have a lot of essays there where I write about grief. I write about running. I even have some recipes there because I'm a foodie. And all the social media, um, if you'd like to connect with me, you can find them there on my website. And we actually have a really fun runners quiz that we just added, which is something, you know, whether you're a walker or a runner, that you take this, it's about 10 or 15 questions. It goes pretty quickly and you can find out which biblical runner you are most like. So maybe you're a Paul or an Esther. Maybe you are like Ruth or John the Baptist. You can find out if you take our quiz.
0: Super cool. I'm just thinking of Elijah right now, just going for that super long sprint to the mountain. (laughs) I love it. Um, Well, thank you, Dorina. It has been such an honor and um, just a joy hearing your story and getting to connect with you. And I'm sure people will go um, check you out online and uh, keep following you. So thank you so much. Oh, it's been a joy. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening today. I really am so encouraged knowing how many of you are being encouraged by this message. And if you have found it helpful, would you mind just sharing it with a friend leaving five stars or even a review wherever you listen to podcasts, podcasts, keeping it super professional. Um, If you want to connect more with me, head over to Instagram, where I'm at Jacqueline.Widener. Or if you want some free resources, head over to my website at JacquelineWidener.com.